Oh, she just jumped on the bed. What an adorable dog. Look at that little weenie. Sticking with the pointy end. Hans Crusade freaking podcast. Episode 60. We're here. I'm going to watch that dog the whole time, dude. <laughs> look, at, look at her just... She's sniffing around. She doesn't want to sniff on that bed. You don't know what you're going to find, Daisy. Daisy, no! Nope, she, okay. Anyway, Concert Crusade, video game, video game news, the official podcast of Game of Thrones. The officially unofficial. I'm E.J. Olsen. This is Nick Durheim. Pretty sure that's uh, already the the intro to like another actual podcast is the officially unofficial. How do we avoid a lawsuit? We're the officially not official. Yes, there we go. We're the Brady Games version of whatever they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, so slow week. We were just chatting before the pod. Slow freaking week, dude. Not a lot of anything. There were there were a couple of little uh little solar flares, you know, little something on the radar on Twitter. People getting upset about this, about that. Nothing too pertinent to our personal interests. But we can roll through a couple of things that again lit Twitter on fire for a day at a time before endgame. Before Game of Thrones just destroyed the weekend, uh, which we will talk about in opposite order at the end of this podcast. And by the end <laughs> of this like- podcast, I mean in 20 minutes. <laughs> so, let's see, I'm looking for the list. I sent you a list, Nick, of you said, oh, this week's going to be shit, isn't it? And I was like, what are you talking about? These things happened. I think you're paraphrasing a little bit. I think I just may have said it was slow news week. I'm not sure. But because you asked me, like, what's happened? Out of nowhere, you messaged me and said, man... Our podcast is going to be some shit this week, huh? And I was like, Switch boost mode, PS4 sales, days gone, Mortal Kombat microtransactions, plus Game of Thrones. And you're like, uh, you mean Switch mode, uh, Switch mode is nothing, microtransactions is nothing. And I was like, whoa, I sent some hot takes up in here. I just had a stroke a minute ago. We're good. When I said it's going to be some shit, I just meant, yo, we got Endgame and this like, impending huge episode of game of thrones that was what i was talking oh, about. oh that's what you're referring to i you took it to mean the opposite but in some ways it is the opposite so so just blown through that list well before we get there i just gotta say i want to shout out to a, a pal former bandmate of mine who is doing a podcast uh david mills you know david mills uh they're doing a podcast him and, and Joey from the old Splash Attack days uh, called Please Take Us Seriously. And and I'm bringing them up because they had reached out, David had reached out to me and asked about how, how we record our podcast remotely, right? Mm-hmm. And because they apparently had like six lost episodes. Just again, lost to to the ether because... Don't know what that's like. Right. And so that's what I said. I said, bro, <laughs> we tried... Different computers, we tried different microphones, different setups, different programs, made sure all of our settings were the same. We couldn't figure out the latency issue. And then finally, it was like, I finally figured out after how many lost episodes, Nick, where we just said, holy shit, I can just, you know, little temporal stretch here and everything's perfect. So so I explained to him the countdown trick. We have to count down at the beginning and the end of the podcast so that we guarantee that we have something to line up flawlessly instead you know as opposed to a clap mm. and it was a simple fix really and i said yeah now we have it down to a science it's a uh, you pop in you count down you do your recording takes me a couple hours to edit we're good to go yeah and there still is the latency like especially i think it was a few episodes ago where 
we recorded late and you just uh, threw it up without doing your usual go through the entire episode and make a million cuts to make it sound real crisp and clean and good. Right. And it was very noticeable because it was clearly the latency was not on your end. It was on my end. But if you had done the countdown and I counted with you, then it would have lined up on my side and it would have been the opposite. So it was like my uh, okay. reactions were delayed because it was what you were experiencing. on It's it's built in latency is what I'm saying. Right. Like, unless you ha- unless you go through manually or you like do the, the hard YouTube cut edit style where you're just minimizing every single gap of noise or gap of silence and then that kind of make talking sound sort of weird and jittery and shaky and kind of bad to begin with but when i edit the podcast i try to keep things as natural as possible i'm just cutting out things that would be a distraction so if i say like six times in a row which i am known to do i'm going to cut out a couple of likes if if you have a little brain fart or if I have a little brain fart and we're like, you know, stuttering, stumbling, trying to get gather our thought, I'll cut out that gap. Crosstalk, if, you know, if one, we can't hear the other person, unless it's like a natural banter that sort of works. Like, I don't, I want people to be able to listen to this and actually glean, you know, what, what we're saying from it and not have to, you know, I don't want it to be a mess. So keeping the spirit of the conversation and that is yeah. not necessarily a hundred percent clean all the time. Exactly. So, super valid. Conversations are messy, but I would say that even the time that I did, we only have one episode that has not been edited whatsoever. That's, you know, I don't know, four episodes, five episodes ago. Well, not just that one. It was also like the single microphone ones we've done. Oh, yeah, and like sure. The in-person ones are kind of a little bit weird to edit because of the nature of the beast, you know, being in the same room, you get echoey really easy. Yeah, those are pretty janky. So you, you pass along your your knowledge and your, your expertise and what you've learned to help them out. That's right. Good. I was like, hey, I totally understand it. And there's no information out there really about how you do this with two guys recording their own audio on opposite ends of the freaking country or whatever. Yeah. It's mostly just like uh, solutions of recording a single audio stream. So it'd be like you recording both of our audio or me recording both of our audio. And that like it works. It's fine. But it's just not what we were looking for for the level of polish that we wanted for our actual product. Exactly. Project. It's impossible to cut around some of that. It's, it can be kind of a disgusting mess. And then just the your audio quality would be so much worse than mine. And Yeah, you can't get rid of uh, crosstalk that way either. Yeah, it's a mess. It's, it's just built into the, to the waveform. But even if they don't edit as meticulously as I tend to... It'll sound better. They, yeah, and they've killed the latency to the point... You know, before, the latency issue we're having is it would line up at the beginning and then half hour in you're three seconds ahead and we're literally talking over each other completely unrelated, you know, so that, so even if there's a little bit of like a half second delay in response, it still feels natural. It's still listenable and there's no crazy weirdness. Yeah. I guess that's less latency and more just recording speed. Like it has to do with your processing speeds and it's all like hardware based. It's really hard to diminish that, but we've got that figured out. And if we really wanted to get the latency figured out, we would both count down individually and then just, meet in the middle so that each of our delays and response were equal so it didn't sound like either of us was dumber than the other we're just equally dumb well luckily i edit it and and hopefully neither of us sound dumb and slow well i always sound dumb but you know but you make you make sure to make me sound good so i i I thank you for that i you know i again i've been editing less and less as time goes on the more comfortable we get the more natural we get you know i was just listening you know, we were consolidating and switching our podcast host over whatever, migrating it. And so I was listening to some of the old stuff and I was like, wow, 
it's crazy to think nothing's really changed. We're both just sitting here in front of the same webcam and the same mic, but things are like, we're just way more comfortable. Just We're literally just bullshitting together now. Just talking shop. Feels good, man. So anyway, shouts out to those those boys. Uh, I hope everything gets all sorted and you guys get launched. Game shit, game shit. What happened? All right, I got to pull up. Now I'm going to pull up the list, all right, that I was going to pull up earlier. Okay, talk to you about the Switch boost mode because on one hand, it seems insignificant. On the other hand, it's like, ah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This came out. I don't know who like first discovered it. The From what I can understand, it was first discovered by, uh, of course, the Switch has a hacking community already built in. Because right. every Nintendo console is going to have that. And I guess in the latest update to uh, Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, when they added the VR mode, because that was recently added also, uh, people discovered that this, they were actually overclocking this, or not even overclocking because the Switch, hand, it's, like, it's underclocked super hard, their CPU. They're adjusting the, the clock speed. The clock speed is raised during loading. So it was like a boost just to load times, which seems like, yeah, it is not a lot. It is nice that they're adding that. I don't know if that's going to be like a how built in that is. I don't know how that's significant either. Like it's just a thing that they are doing now. I don't know. Like what you did you think this is significant? Do you, what was your take on this? Initially, you know, I looked at it and I I was like, oh, this is significant. I mean, you're almost doubling your processing power even temporarily. Well, then I, I, I realized, oh, okay, they're only seeing it during load times. I had initially realized that it was, you know, just when the player is not even playing the game. Makes sense. They want to boost load times as they render things in the background, temporarily ramp up, you know, the voltage and the clock speed and the temperatures are going to spike, but it's it's not doing anything intensive. So that makes sense. I, I was under the assumption that this was happening in-game during certain when certain things are rendering or when certain, you know, if like the frame rate or resolutions throttled hard enough, then it's like, all right, time to kick it into high gear to go up this hill. Yeah. But from what I understand, it's, it's purely for like loading, which is both like, it makes sense, but it's also, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to, I would imagine be an engineer working on a handheld system because you really, really, really have to be concerned about your thermals and your power consumption because people complain enough about the battery life of the switch as it is. That if you started overclocking the thing and then having a like one hour battery life, that'd be bad news. Exactly, you don't want that. You'd rather have thirty frames chugging a little bit low resolution Breath of the Wild than you know crisp and sixty and lasting thirty minutes. Right. One of the things that people were talking about when this sort of came out was that again before at least before I realized that it was only during load times that they've seen this. Was people were saying, oh, this is how it's always been. They're just making it available to developers now, so that some of the more intense games can now take advantage of this because before it was just Nintendo utilizing it. Mm. So, so we don't really know. And we don't know if we're actually going to see that outside of just load screens. And if this might be a boon to certain situations, say you're playing Diablo and you have, you know, freaking a hundred mobs on screen and Hey, we're just going to boost this up real quick to render this out and, and keep your game from, from hitching too bad. I don't know. Or you just cast 300 spells and you've got particle effects going fucking bonkers. Like right. Fireworks on your goddamn screen. Like, yeah, that would make sense in those kind of situations. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, I don't know if developers will utilize this that much because it seems like... I don't know what the major bottleneck is for developing for the Switch. Because you there's so much you have to do to take into account. You've got smaller built-in, mem- like, built-in storage. So a lot of times they have to try and shrink things down to fit into the storage. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's like, oh, this game is just 40 gigs and you're going to have to get an SD card to deal with that. And like, 
You're only gonna have a 720p screen, so they're shrinking textures. The RAM is less than uh, other consoles, but like, how much RAM do you need for a console that is only outputting at 720p and only has so much ability with a GPU as it is? And like, I don't know. I, it seems like a nightmare of a situation as it is. I feel like any any boost you can give to third party developers is a good thing. I I feel like I saw some people speculating whether or not this is uh, a sign for the future because we've got all these rumors and talks about a shrunken down switch or a you know, an easier, cheaper model entry level kind of uh model coming out this year and what that is going to look like if it's going to have full parity um if it's just a form factor change same with like the improved switch if it's going to be like oh it's just like xbox one s where it has slightly better internals but it's not utilizing them really it's just it's been four years so this is the new tech or with switch like it's using tech from 2016 2015 i think was the, the tegra x1 came out and the x2 came out the year the year before the switch did so I don't know if they would just move on to that and just clock it down just so it has better battery life. Everything's kind of up in the air when it comes to hardware with the with Nintendo at this point. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You bring up the potential for a cheaper Switch. There's been talks that we're going to have a Switch Pro. And so a couple things when it comes to the Switch hardware, right? You brought up battery. I'm trying to find out the the X1's clock speed in something like the Shield, the NVIDIA Shield. I'm trying to find what that clock speed is. If I recall, they have significantly underclocked the Switch's CPU. Yeah, and that has to do with, like I said, thermals and the the more cooling you have to have built into the console itself that takes up a lot of space and it takes a battery life. And right. you're, you're changing the form factor to the point where maybe it's not as appealing. And honestly, like I know it's not a very... Uh, popular kind of opinion but i think the switch is already too thin as it is i would like a thicker switch yes yes like if you held a, if you've held a, like a game boy like an og game boy recently that is a thick ass piece of tech but Big it is boy. comfortable in the hands because you know as an adult with hands it's nice to grip something that's not as thin as a phone horizontally like even right. the game boy advance the, the original gba was thicker than like the switches right now yeah and i don't know the the, the economy of scale and the way it, it's like kind of heavy It'd be nice if it was a little bit thicker and then you could fit in more battery, you could fit in more active cooling, larger fans so that the fans weren't as loud when they're spinning. Also, I think that'd be nice. But then at the same time, you're just throwing everyone who bought the switch in the first two years under the bus and the dock won't work anymore and all this kind of stuff. Or you can put active cooling in the dock also. So when you're actually running at a higher CPU, you don't have to worry about the internal fans like taking over everything. You dump air in from outside of it. I feel like that'd be Something that could be a possibility too. I don't know. I would gladly pay $500 for a Switch Pro with either maybe the Tegra X2 chip or maybe just a chip that's got twice the clock speed. You, know, you said better cooling. Double or triple the battery size on that bitch. I just wonder if that would even be enough to reach parity with like the current PS4 and Xbox One. And at that point, what's the point? Like, I remember we had many conversations about it being kind of a... a a stupid move to make the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X because you're doing this like minor leap and third-party developers are going to be have to make this games to be spec'd out for four different platforms basically as opposed to two. And with then you're doing it with the Switch where the Switch is like a fifth iteration lower and then you're adding like a six. Like I don't know if that's necessarily smart for Nintendo and unless it's just completely hardware-based where they've been telling developers, hey, make this scalable from the get-go so that if we ever improve this, then it's like able to you can just sort of tweak it and make it work, but I don't know if that's like 
Nintendo's MO or if they would be as, as forthcoming with third parties about that or like what's the benefit to a, a Switch Pro, I guess, besides just like features and better battery life, maybe a, a sharper screen. I mean, a sexier design, a better screen, definitely much, much bigger battery. The battery in the thing right now is not very impressive. I mean, it's, it hasn't been a huge issue, but it would certainly be well a welcomed improvement if you double the battery life on that thing. Yeah, it's one of the one of the bottlenecks. But I you think. could triple triple the battery life, and then you can get more out of that. Uh, again, if it's a little thicker chassis, better thermals, then you can boost that CPU so that you're getting dock performances handheld without sacrificing battery or thermal. That's all a benefit. When, when you look at, yeah, you brought up we had talked in the past, so we didn't quite understand what like what is Microsoft doing? What's Sony doing? I think the difference here is Sony and and Microsoft were sort of playing this weird leapfrog, but they weren't really tangibly improving the experience. Like there's some fringe benefits. Okay. And it just didn't make sense for Nintendo. I guess as far as as a business move, I don't know, but for the consumer, I think it makes a lot of sense to introduce something that, you know, you could quite literally double the power of this machine without affecting too much of your ecosystem. And I think the, the consumer benefits are significantly greater than what Sony and Microsoft offered. The, the value proposition there is is weak at best. I feel like, mm. whereas with Nintendo, is it would be it would be quite a bit more significant. And you know that's well, this is coming from someone who owns a, a PlayStation Pro. So what the fuck do I know? But a five hundred dollars Switch, I would easily pay for if it was thicker, had a better grip, like ergonomic grip, not just a flat you know design. And those other things we mentioned, like gladly take my money, I'll buy another one. Yeah, I just don't see that being what Nintendo does. You know, like true. You think back to like the the, the new 3DS XL, where what they did was they they put in better RAM and they clocked it up like a hundred megahertz more, and that was the extent of it. And the only thing they made that was like you had to have the uh, the new 3DS for was a port of a Wii game and the a uh, Warriors game that the I think it was Fire Emblem Warriors was 3DS, uh, new 3DS exclusive. And Hyrule Warriors was on regular 3DS, but it was a, a garbage nightmare to try and experience <laughs> right. that on the standard platform. So I I don't know if that is like a good precedent, but it's like the closest thing that we have to a iteration that would actually increase the capabilities of the system. Otherwise, you have what is essentially a new platform, like the best other option would be Game Boy Color, where you actually had a better display and you had like slightly better uh, guts. But that was just to power the display, honestly. And that was fully backwards compatible. And that was like a handheld in an era where everything else was, you know, that was N64 and the start of like the GameCube. So that was a a wildly different platform as opposed to something that's trying to keep pseudo parity with the other home consoles. Like just the nature of this console makes it really hard to speculate what they would try and do to improve, especially if it was Nintendo. Like... If you think about Sony and with the Vita, if there was rumors running around of them doing like a, a Vita 2, like you could say, oh yeah, it's going to have, it's, it'd just be more power. Like obviously that's what Sony does. There's a, there's a pass to that or it's download only like the PSP go that weird Ugh. nightmare sliding bullshit yeah. with their proprietary memory cards. What a Nintendo move of them to do that. But a switch pro there's been uh, further rumors of it being more of a modest just a, a form factor change, that kind of thing. And I feel like that makes more sense for what Nintendo does. Like, I don't know. You could argue that the Switch was kind of rushed out the door because the Wii was on its like last breath. And they had done that before also with the, the DS. They tried to get that out to market before the PSP came out. And the original DS was clunky. It was like not a very sleek device compared to other Nintendo products at the time. I like my OG DS. I like the clicky buttons. I like how 
the buttons were very similar to the SP. It's probably the same actual buttons from the SP that is through this weird clamshell design. And then the DS Lite came out and I was like, okay, this is truly what Nintendo's vision is. Yeah. It was more in line with like the, how the Wii looked when that came out two years later. And I wonder if the Switch, it's a, it is a much better design, like visually and aesthetically. It is, uh, I would say it's an improvement over the Wii U, which was kind of, it felt kind of cheap. It was a little bit too kiddy. It was a little well, bit too. Fisher Price. Yeah, Mattel's Wii U. But the Switch is nice. I can imagine it being better, but I don't know what the benefit of that is. Like, what's the what's the target market? Is it just you and me? Uh, how big is that market? How, how much of the population that doesn't already own a Switch? Like, I feel like Nintendo's trying to sell multiple Switches to multiple households. I feel like they've talked about that, especially since the 3DS is like, Way, 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 way on the downslide. So a small switch, you know, mini switch, cheap switch, whatever, is a priority, I would imagine. But what would a Switch Pro, what benefit would that do? What what are they adding to their market by doing that? From a sales perspective, you're right. A cheaper switch makes a lot more sense than uh, an expensive switch. And who knows? Maybe Nintendo, you're right. I think it would be tough to predict a future where they stray from what they've always done. And are they trying to, like, sell people that already own a switch a better switch? Or is this just, like the new switch going forward, how the Xbox one S is you yeah. know, you're not buying the OG Xbox one. Cause that thing came with a goddamn their camera and like all the, the connect. The, right. That was bad. They had to move away from that and they just shrunk it down. They made it more, a little bit more appealing 4k Blu-ray player right in the box, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I don't know like what Nintendo's version of that is. If they really add too many features or if it's just like, Hey, this is the new thing. This is the game boy advance SP. Except what are the what's the what's the version of adding a backlight for the switch? Is it just like, oh, this one has Bluetooth audio? So maybe if you want if you're like really desperate for that, you can you can jump on the train. But if otherwise if you like held out, then you're just rewarded with a, a slightly better thing at, at the same MSRP. Introduce the ProCon with the new Pro Dock. ProCon would be would be really smart because then you could sell that to older Switch users as well. I think the Joy-Cons are super underutilized with how it modifies the console in such a way like this. It's what you're holding on to. It's the handheld part, but they haven't really done anything to change that form factor and they haven't done anything to change the the actual inputs, like what you're doing with them. And I think that's weird. That's, that seems like a, a misstep. That's like, this is the same goddamn company that love to sell us pieces of plastic crap that you put your, your Wii motes into to make, so you're playing Mario Kart with a wheel, you know? And, and yeah, there are wheels for the, the Joy-Cons, but I feel like there's way more opportunity than that than just selling us plastic for 10 bucks. You know, it's it's pretty silly. We're sitting here kind of going back and forth over something pretty minor when it's like the pinnacle of power when it comes to console gaming. For the most part, we're literally putting in our pocket. Like I like to say, like I can play Skyrim on a Game Boy. You know what I mean? I'm playing the best Zelda game of all time on a Game Boy. It's definitely the most powerful handheld ever made by the big three. Real embarrassment of riches here, man. And we're, we're sitting here like, how could it be better? Well, yeah, that's the that's the nature of people who are into like tech is always looking forward. As soon as the, the new thing comes out, it immediately becomes the old thing. And then you look at rumors and speculation from China and like translations. It's looking for snippets of information that you can glean that you're not supposed to know yet. It's not official knowledge yet. It's like this cool secret cloak and dagger bullshit rumor mongering. But it's fun. Big fan. This is a real uh, role reversal here, you know? I'm sort of like, hey, can't we all just live and let live? We're so lucky to just be here. I do like my Switch. I don't know what it would take for them to put out a new one 
Like you say, if it's like super beefy and costs $500, but I don't know if Nintendo's going to do that. No. I don't think they've ever put out a console above $300 like MSRP. They always are going for the, the cheaper kind of market. Easy easy entry point, and then they sell you software. And Nintendo's one of the only publishers that they sell Buku on the software. I think the best-selling Sony game is like $8 million, and Switch already has like, I think, five games that have sold better than that. Oh my gosh. Literally an embarrassment of riches. On the opposite end of the spectrum here, we're sitting here going back and forth over something that we're really just, it's sort of icing on the cake. Mortal Kombat has sort of done the opposite where they they put out a really, by all accounts, great game and have really soured people on it and ru- quote unquote ruined the game. I haven't played it, but ruined the experience for so many people with this whole the way that their microtransactions work and the way that the post game works with the in-game currency and how how you navigate those systems with expendable items and whatnot. Uh, they really, again, by all accounts, I haven't played it. I've just been reading, followed the controversy. They kind of fucked up. The The headline, Nick, that, that sort of took the gaming sphere by storm for about six to eight hours this week was that it would cost you 6,440 real world doll hairs to clear all of the post game to buy all the skins and buy all the all the ancillary stuff. You earn money in the post game by going through and clearing these different fights, but you need your upgraded armor for that. You need up so upgraded skins, whatever, and you need expendable items, which cost in game currency, obviously. But the way you earn that currency is so difficult. To essentially max everything out and then in turn, yeah, clear that post game, you're looking at some astronomical fee. And people say this is predatory and this is, you know, you're ruining a good game. And, and on one hand, I totally agree. We've seen some companies do microtransactions the right way where it's not pay to win. This is quite literally pay to win, even though it's a single player experience. It's like, or you can grind and put in, I think someone was doing the math. I saw a Reddit post, someone was doing the math on how long it would take you. They were kind of breaking down. Well, if I do this, I do this. A battle and it takes me X amount minus the money you spend on the upgrades and the expendable items and you're looking at hundreds of hours of playtime to try and unlock these things and say it's unreasonable it's ridiculous so it's weird there's two different sort of aspects to this that I think are like directly opposing each other you've got the really misleading and weird uh, pseudo math that someone did to try and figure out how much money you could spend on this game because as it stands right now, uh, you the only thing you can buy is... So, hold on. I got to stop. Because there's this <laughs> mode. There's like this... Okay, they got like the time... Cri- the, there's the crypts and there's the time towers or something. I don't know. I was I was talking with Max about this. And uh, I was watching him and Andrew play on uh, Saturday. And it's it's built sort of like a mobile game. There's just a bunch of different currencies. And it's really weird... But I also get it because people love interacting with like a bunch of currencies and it keeps people coming back. It keeps like the, oh, I got to do my dailies. It's like, it's a obsessive compulsive kind of design, but people are kind of built to enjoy that now. So you have like these hearts that you can get. It's one of the currencies, hearts. And you get those by doing fatalities on opponents in any mode. Like if you do a fatality against me in 1v1s, if you're doing a fatality in the story mode, whatever, you get a heart. But there's these chests and the crypts, like the crypt is where you go to spend your currencies. And you get currencies from just doing a bunch of crap. So like you spend your hearts, but it's like 250 hearts to open up a chest, for example. So you have to do 250 fatalities and it takes a long time to do 250 matches to get that many fatalities. 
for example. So it's just a really, it was a really bizarre economy when it first came out and people were not happy with how, to, how they interacted with that. But then as far as spending money, the only thing you can spend money on is uh, easy fatalities, which is just turns your, instead of doing like up, up, down, up, like medium kick or whatever your fatality is, it's just you press a button and you do a fatality. So it's like, whatever, why sell that? But also why buy that? Not, not a big deal. And then you can also uh, spend and buy time crystals, which I think you need to use to be in the time towers or towers of time. So it's kind of disingenuous to say, hey, you can just spend six hundred or $6,000 on this game to buy all the skins. And also, it's cosmetics. Like, I'm not into buying a, a random chance for a thing, which is why I think Overwatch is like really annoying because you can't really just buy the thing you want. You get like your little loot box every time you level up and your level ups take longer and longer as you keep going in the game or you can spend money and just buy a level up, like buy the chests, but it's just a cosmetic. It's just a skin. It doesn't affect how you play online. If anything, if you have something that affects your stats, it's just for this weird little mode. If anything, it's it's akin to spirits in Smash Bros. And if you had a, the ability to interact with that by accessing a special mode that unlocked more spirits or something like, or another, just another avenue to, spends by spirits or not really buying spirits, but buying the chance to interact with this thing more and whether or not, like, I don't know what the economy is. I'm assuming you get these like as a, as a reward or as like doing dailies or something. So is it really that restrictive? Like, are you just running out of a game to play? And also people are talking about there's too much, like it takes too much time to unlock everything. Well, after you unlock everything, what's the point of playing more? I, I would imagine that you want more game to play because this is a fighting game. This is the kind of game that you want to play forever and always be getting new stuff. You're like, oh, well, that's so sick. I just got a new Scorpion skin. I'm going to try it out and play Scorpion in three years because I've been playing this game obsessively or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. It seems like a non-issue that people are just looking for. An, they're looking for a problem. They have an axe to grind and they saw an opportunity to make a big deal out of something that might not necessarily be a big deal because this like math was done for pre-release content. Like the game wasn't out yet when people were grinding, like talking about this and they're like, Oh yeah, we got a patch coming. This is going to be fixed. This is going to be worked on, but didn't wait for that to happen. They're just like, well, we want to be mad. We don't want to fix. We want to be angry at this thing. Exactly. It's been a month or two since Anthem came out. So we can't bitch about that anymore. So we got to find the new thing to be mad about. I don't know. It just seems like not really enough of a, a big deal to be like, waving our pitchforks around and I don't know who's mad at this. I feel like the only people that are mad at this are the people not playing the game and who fucking cares, right? Gamers are fucking babies. We see it time and Fans time again. Fans of things are babies. Fair. But gamers in particular. You remember Gamergate? Yeah, I just don't like to perpetuate the whole like mythos that gamers are like some subclass of, of a fan base that is like somehow worse or more toxic than the fan of a sports team. Or a fan of a TV show. You know, like, I don't see people going on riots when a game comes out or someone wins at their game, except for sports. You know, like, so, obviously, you get toxic fans sure. of anything, but we're just because we're in it, we see it a lot more. It's also the most popular entertainment medium in the world. Well, yeah, exactly. So, it, there, it, I guess it depends on how you slice it. But people... They want to be flagrant and inflammatory, and they want to find something to bitch about, like you said, and they want the hot headline, what's going to get clicks, and by saying, oh, it costs almost seven grand to unlock the things in the game, it's easy to latch onto, and people start retweeting it, and people start reposting it, and bitching and moaning, and, and it's the moral high ground, so they feel justified, right. like, oh, yeah, even if we're wrong, we it's a good stance to take, like, right. but if you're wrong, then what's the fucking stance? 
chill out. So I, I'm kind of with you now that I've you made a compelling argument, and I, I'm kind of with you on that. It's like, yeah, it's it does sound like a non-issue. That's a really good point about don't you always want something to unlock, and if it's not hindering you from completing the game or or or. You know what I mean? It's just, it's strictly it's just cosmetic shit. It's like then who fucking cares? And it's really hard to to tweak those if you have that many systems in place. Like that's a whole another conversation to have that many currencies and to be like sort of scratching that same mobile game itch that people have. That's like a whole another thing. But if I were a developer of a game, I would much rather make it too hard at first and make it easier than make it too easy and have people be like this is too easy. Then make it harder and then you have more people complaining about it being too hard and like. You all want to do it bad at first and then make it better. And it's easy to tweak that because that's just a, that's a numbers game at that point. You know, that's not a balance of the, the actual gameplay. It's just like, oh, we made the number too big. We'll make it smaller now. Last thing on our list before we jump to Game of Thrones and Endgame, two completely not video game related topics. Both have the word game in it, dude. Hey, Come whoa, on. whoa. Console Crusade, we talk games, baby. We talk end games. We talk games of thrones. Boom. New <laughs> intro. I love it. Perfect. Brought it full circle here. Real quick. Shouts out to the Sony PlayStation 4. I think sold 96 or 98 million units to date. I think it's like 96.8. Oh, whoa. Oh, okay. So I, think, I, I don't know. Could be 98.6, huh? <laughs> oh. Actually, I think it is that. They're going to surpass the PlayStation 1 in sales. They're going to pa- surpass the Wii in sales this summer. PlayStation 2 is probably untouchable, 140 some million. Yeah, different time before the recession. DVDs really right. spiking in popularity, being in production for so long, really reaching a huge market in like South America and in Europe. Like yeah. it's it's and the competition was the GameCube and the Xbox. Exactly. So different time, but but for the <laughs> the idea that the PlayStation 4 is going to encroach, you know, on on 100 million and probably by the end of its life in realistically Say, say PS5 comes out in 2020, okay? End of 2020. We're looking at a holiday window 2020. PS4 stops production when? 2022, 2023. Really depends. Depends on the price point they, they market it at. Right. And it depends on the initial adoption rate. And that is a really hard like thing to estimate that far ahead. Like Nintendo stopped producing the Switch before, or stopped producing the Wii U before the Switch came out. Because it was just right. done selling, no one was buying it. But yeah. if the PS4 keeps selling pretty decently after the PS5, especially if they're like, hey, we're on clearance mode, we we produce too many, or they're like, hey, we want to hit this arbitrary number because it'll make it'll look good in our in our balance sheets, then they could be like, Yeah, we're trying to crank this out to like 120 and then stop there. Just call Bro, it good, but pat ourselves. Ninety nine dollar PlayStation fours. I don't think they would do that. I mean, I think a two hundred dollar PS4 is a really, really good value proposition. But we're already seeing that now. Well, you see that on like crazy Black Friday sales. But if it's $200 MSRP, then you see it on sale for like 160 Then like, yeah, it's going to push sales. Yeah. Because yeah. you like to see that number go down. People like to see that they're make that they're getting a good deal. Especially if they if they bring out a PS5 that's backwards compatible, but is that in the, sort of more of the boutique price range? Yeah, and it gets kind of weird also when you think about the PS4 Pro. Like, is that still in production at that point? Is that the only version that's in production at that point? How forwards compatible is the PS5? Like, are there going to be games that are coming out on the PS4 that have a PS5 option? What does that all look like? Because we already know that it's backwards compatible, but we don't know what the transition is going to look like over that next like year or two. Because the PS3 to PS4 had like, like fucking Metal Gear, uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 came out on PS3 and Xbox 360, and that was 2015. Same with the Shadow of Mordor. 
that was like 2014 2015 so that had like a two-year sort of span of game because games take a long time to make so it it would make sense for them hey we've already got this install base there's 96 million ps4s how many people are going to have the ps5 at that point so we don't know what that sort of looks like but i think it's possible that the ps4 ends up hitting like 120 yeah i probably closer to 110s but like 120 is definitely yeah. achievable and again that this is just a, a testament to sony doing a lot of things the right way coming into this generation and continuing to be forward thinking and focusing on games which is a huge thing that xbox wasn't doing for years and just being the better console with the better value proposition for the yeah. majority of like the quote-unquote competition yeah absolutely so shouts out uh i certainly love my ps4 i mean even you got a ps4 you know you would completely transitioned away from from console gaming you're like i'll play my nintendo and i'll play my pc and even you're like oh fuck there's some exclusives that maybe i should experience on this platform it got to the right price i had a black friday so yeah. i think I, I think i picked it up for 200 have you regretted that decision i haven't i haven't used it as much nearly as my switch but like i've there's been a few games that i'm like i just dump a bunch of time into like i play the fuck out of bloodborne i play the fuck out of monster hunter world on there and that's pretty much pretty much it and like I've used it for like Netflix and you know like various browsing stuff before I got my new TV that actually has all that built in. So I have even less of a reason to use it now. But I'm look I'm looking ahead and I'm thinking I really wonder if I'm going to be getting a PS5 or if I'm going to be getting the next Xbox because the Xbox like Microsoft got a bunch of studios and they could li- they could show off games at E3 this year or next year and say hey here's something to actually be excited about. Do you want like another broke ass fucking Uncharted? game or do you want like something new and they could do something yeah, new or they, they could, could just do like another halo who knows the balls in their court they really have Fucking a lot to gears show. of war right Here we go so, yeah i mean gears five is but maybe this year maybe next year so yeah. fucking if you're into that i guess but it's very interesting we're at, a, we're at a good time right now let's round up here and let's jump into game of thrones nick i i got some ranting to do so bear with me here just we're gonna try to keep this relatively brief but and if you did not watch Game of Thrones and you don't want to listen to us talk about it, then it's been nice nice of you to listen. Tune back in once you actually watch the episode. Come on, what the fuck you doing? What the Where fuck you, you doing? Uh, yeah, you don't want to be spoiled. Although, again, if if you didn't watch Sunday, what the, what the fuck you doing on Wednesday not having seen the episode? You don't care if you haven't seen it. You don't Fake care. Fake fan. Fake fan. So, uh, oh, okay. I don't even know where to begin. Listen, I do want to get to the stuff that I did like because there were some things I liked. I don't want to just be dour and shitting all over this episode or this season or Beanie Off and Weiss. Compliment sandwich. You want to start like nice, then bitch about it a bunch and then give it like a, you know, it wasn't that bad kind of conclusion for this segment. I just need to dive in because I've been, this has been pent up. It's been in me today. One of the guys at the office was out of town and wasn't able to watch it. And so he's watching it tonight, but that means we really couldn't deep dive on it at right, work. Right, 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 So, So I just, I need to get this out of my system. Okay, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Swing Dude, away. I, I am very disappointed in this episode for a number of reasons. Technically, the way it was executed, the way it was filmed, technically from how it's streamed, HBO streaming this low bitrate trash. I have a question for you. Are you watching using uh, HBO Go or HBO Now? Yes, uh, go. Um, I've heard that if you use the Amazon channel of HBO, that it's a higher bit rate. It's a it's yeah. a better stream. That's yeah. what I was using. Still a really dark episode. I didn't like tweak my TV specifically to try and get it brighter or anything. But 
primarily it was like the first like 20 or 30 minutes was like really, really dark to the point where I understand it felt like a, a creative choice, but I think it was poorly executed. And I agree with you. Like the, the editing in this episode was very questionable, great directing, great choreography, great performances, but the editing I feel like was pretty distracting, especially when you like, you'd, you'd see a scene of like, Brienne and Jamie in the thick of it and they're surrounded by zombies and it seems like they're done for and it cuts away to someone else and then you get back to them and they're just like 1v1ing these like random whites and it's like well I don't know what happened there it feels like the, they, they edited stuff out of sequence it was like really bizarre at some point so it was like I said it was distracting I think that was a choice they're trying to show the chaos of battle and how quickly things ebb and flow it's tough to balance that many characters I mean I saw of course it was like kind of meme but it was like a list of the main characters and their likelihood of dying. And like, you're looking at that list, like, fuck, there's like 20 named characters that you have some sort of like emotional attachment to. And you have to give them a little bit of screen time each and put them in a place that makes sense for them. And uh, uh, juggling that and editing, that sounds like a nightmare, but there are some points where I was like, man, what's going on here? How did John get through this fucking horde of zombies that was just uh, uh, surrounding him a moment ago, but now they're all just on one side conveniently during this one shot it's tough so i have a lot of issues with the fan service the sort of that nature of of fan service where they gave us all these things that i feel like i didn't want and they didn't give me the things i did want yeah and we'll be we'll be talking about fan service more later oh yeah oh boy will we but i but i do agree that there was some there was some fan service that didn't feel like as earned and it's hard for me because i'm i'm coming in with a different experience of this this uh show as you having only really seen the first two seasons and then the last uh, this this one of the prior two so i don't have the same kind of attachment to the characters because they deviate from the books so much so like jorah i don't really care too much about i really really love brienne i really love jamie i like i actually like bran i i'm fine i'm fine with theon i like theon more in the books and then in the show it seems like he's been kind of mishandled and like his plot line has been kind of mistreated and then, like, even Sansa, like, despite her not really showing her progress, I still, like, I want to root for her, but they haven't really shown me why I should. And I don't know. Can I just say also that I felt one way at the end of the episode, and then when they did their little sit-down talk afterwards, I felt even worse about it. Yeah. Like, that actively made me dislike it, like, the choices they made more. And that shouldn't be the case. I should like things more the more I know about them. And some of it's yeah. like, okay, you're telling me this. Why didn't you establish that in the episode? Why didn't you have like a single line of dialogue between Danny and John when for no reasons the Kalasar rides into battle when they're the infantry, they're they're in the they're let's just sacrifice our cavalry for nothing. Let's put them in front of like the the I don't know what you call those, the the spikes sticking out of the ground. And they put the siege weapons in front of that. They put their fucking trebuchets in front of the cavalry, in front of the wall. Like, what the fuck were they doing? Why wouldn't they use the cavalry to, like, <laughs> flank, go around the sides and and push them in? It summed up the whole episode. Mel- uh, Melisandre coming from where the whites are somehow coming out. And you're like, oh, my God, who is it? I'm fine with that. She's, like, some ma- magic woman. She shows up. I really actually really like her, like, lighting up the swords. And it makes a little bit of sense that they get all fucking battle pumped, but they didn't show that enough. They should have been like, fuck yeah, they should have been shouting and like, yeah, we have like this small victory. Our swords are on fire. Maybe we have a chance. And I really actually do love the shot was so fucking cool where yeah. you're just behind them and you see like the lights dwindling out and like the pacing of that was perfect. But 
I don't know if it was worth it in the end to like have that moment. I don't know. It's, it's tough because you, you want to criticize the thing, but it's a cascading series of events where if like, if you don't have this, then what is that establishing? What's going on? Like I'm not the showrunner. I'm not the creator of the, of the thing. I can just, I can just sort of recognize what sort of doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. So like, that was like a, a weird moment, but like they talked about in the, after the episode, like, yeah, Danny was shook by all of her, her Dothraki, like dying, basically just running to their deaths. And like, even you see the ones running away, that would have been such a good moment to have like the throwback, that comment of like uh, a Dothraki who is like loses their horse is no longer a warrior. They're no longer Dothraki. Like that should have been a moment that Danny had. Like, I know that because I read the books and I remember that from like prior shit, but they should have reminded us. They should have been like, they're no longer warriors. I need to save my people. Like that would have been a really strong moment for Danny and actually given us a fucking glimpse of her as a character for once in this goddamn yeah. season. But for no, 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 everything about this was how can we, and this is last season and this season so far, they focus less on who are these characters? What are their motivations? Why are they here? What has led them here? What makes sense for them? How are they going to interact together in a way that feels natural? Instead, it was how can we give each the fans what we think they want? We get to knighting with, the, with Jamie and Brandon, all these little moments. And then we're not going to give them the things that we should actually give them based on individual character motives and and moments. And so a couple things. I haven't taken any notes. So let me just spout some things off the top of my head and then rant about the Night King getting killed uh, just, just real quick. First off, John was completely useless in this entire thing. Completely useless. Yeah, they could have they could have established that more of a if like like I said, if they had shown Danny like panicking and being like, I need to save my people, then we could have had like an interesting interaction with John being like, we need to stick to the plan. We need to you know, we need to be here to light the light the barriers so that we can like hold off these people. We need to save as much time as possible, draw out the Night King so we can go after Bran. Like this is like what we talked about in detail last episode, but it seemed like there was no communication there. I don't know if John had really any dialogue this episode. I don't remember him saying a single goddamn word except for when Danny landed on the ground with a dragon and they like shouted at each other or something. But right. yeah, you're right. Like the motivations aren't really shown. And that's what's interesting is your motivations and the stakes and the consequences. And this episode didn't really have any of those three things. The entire time I was watching, I was I was thinking to myself, this should feel more tense, but I don't feel any tension. And then by the end of the episode, I was like, I was right to not feel any tension. And that's disappointing because the Battle of the Bastards, I was gripped by that episode. And that was like yeah. a low stakes battle. That was like, you know, fucking whatever, Ramsey Bolton, a bullshit bad guy. He killed a character that nobody had seen in seven seasons and, you know, Deus Ex Machina saved the day, but that was a wonderful episode just visually and like the storytelling and like the character moments and the, this, the acting, the pure fucking acting in that episode was beautiful. But this right. episode lost a lot of that because it was so dark, which was a, you know, a creative choice and a bit of a bummer. And once they actually lit up the, the front lines, then it was a lot better from there on out. Yeah. So John was useless. Uh, Daenerys, you know, it, it, I was a little irritated they're like, well, we have to get them off their perch and then we're going to send a snowstorm at them so that they're useless because you don't want your fans thinking, well, they have dragons. Why didn't they do X, Y, and Z? Well, now their dragons are out of commission because fucking snowstorm. Which I'm fine with because that that showed like, that's like one of the first times we've seen the dragons not be just a, a win-all sort of yeah. character, deus ex machina, like I said. like, And I don't know if they've talked about this in the, the show at all, but that's like a point that is made in the books. Like when Tyrion is off in Essos, he's talking about 
he's like teaching someone about how dragons are often seen as like this undefeatable being, you know, it's just the, the wind card, but like they're in the air. So like there's problems with being in the air. And then if you can't coordinate with people, then like they're, they're not just like God tier, you know, they have problems. So I was fine with the whole fog being established and that being like a plot point. I think they, they, I think that was fine, honestly. And John being not like completely useful is also fine because he doesn't need to be useful all the time, but they need to make the other characters being useful make, make sense. I was pretty irritated with a lot of the, the way the battle was portrayed. A lot of it just didn't make sense. Like you said, people being swarmed and the next thing you know, like Sam, how the fuck is Sam Tarly still alive? The dude was literally being dogpiled by dead people. And John just kind of looks at him like, Hey, sorry, bro. And it's like, I just, that made, that was just fucking stupid. And then we got the fucking talk about fan service moment with Liana Mormont and the fucking giant. And I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, that was, (laughs) that was a bit goofy, but it was fine and it was quick. So it was like, she had a good death. So like, I'm happy that the people who are a huge fan of her got that. And it doesn't take anything away from me for that moment to have happened, you know? So my biggest gripe with the episode, other than, I thought the pacing was weird. They kept going to the crypts, but nothing was happening in the crypts until it did. But then it didn't really like the payoff in the crypts was not enough based on how they set it up with how safe the crypts were like that. The, the crypts being a plot point, I think was essentially just so they had something to cut to, to give people a visual break from all the yelling and uh, yeah. killing. That's exactly what it was, but they could have done so much more with it. And even when they were down there, we had this great moment between Tyrion and Sansa when they're like, fuck, this is it. And they're kind of having this this dialogue together. And then Tyrion's like, let's fucking do this. And they, they pull out the weapons. You think it's going to happen? But instead he goes around the corner and hides. Yeah. Like, like, what the killed. fuck was that? Like if they had just killed one white, oh, that would have been worth it. But instead they just, you just got a bunch of no names getting, getting killed, some screaming women. And then like Varys and co hiding behind a statue. <laughs> It was fucking all. It was stupid, man. It was so disappointing. And then everything in the library, I get what they were doing in the library. They're like, well, A, we have to get her to the room with Melisandre. God, that took so long, though. As I was watching that, I was like, okay, so what is this? What is the purpose of this? We also had to establish that Arya can, she can sneak around the whites. And so, you know, she, and she knows, she knows the castle of Winterfell better than anybody. She knows the grounds better than anyone. Like I said, that was another like filler piece that was just to have a break in the action exactly which you could have just had less of the the action because a lot of it was redundant after a point it's like how many times do we have to see brianne almost get swarmed or see jamie almost get swarmed you know it's like what what purpose are you serving like yeah they're they're getting closer and closer to overrunning the castle but it's after a point it's like yeah they've overrun the castle and then here comes night king gets booped off his his uh his dragon and just does a mass res and we start over again. That was a cool moment. That is a good like third act. Like, hey, this is, you know, the, it's going to happen. You can't beat death. But yeah. then the the payoff at the end, like totally soils that a little bit. But I feel like I've missed a million things. And there are so many things that I wanted to gripe about. But I, let me just get to the big thing. What was the purpose of the scene with Bran? Like, uh, I'm going to go now. And then he just he just wargs into a bunch Nothing. of ravens and just flies around. There was no point. It was just to give us an aerial no shot of like, hey, there's still yes. fog. And here's the Night King. It was literally only there to... It was a sea transition. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was there so we get a couple of cool shots. We wanted, a, we wanted a new perspective for 10 seconds. Check it out. We've gotten really good at uh, this effect of his eyes rolling in the back of his head. <laughs> right. And then and we got Theon facing off the Night King when he comes. He, he gets killed. Okay, he, he, that, that completes his arc. Which is fine. You know, he needed, he needed, he needed a, a, a heroic death, you know. 
when Bran looks at him, he's like, you're a good man, Theon. Shut the fuck up, Bran, you useless turd. He's not a good man. He's ma- he's making up for the awful things he's done, but he's not a good man. He killed people, people you love. He killed your family. He, tr- he killed a couple of innocent boys in Winterfell trying to pretend they were you, and he would have killed you if he had found you. He's not a good guy. He well, yeah, did but- some fucked up things, and he got went through some shit. I never once felt sorry for the guy when he became Reek. I don't know if you saw that. Reek in the show and that whole thing with Ramsey was very different in the books. Very yeah. different in the books. Ramsey is way more fucked up in the books from what I've read. It's super sad in the books, like how much he literally mentally torments this character into thinking that he's somebody else, and he doesn't know who he is anymore. Like yeah. It's super fucked up. But that moment, not that it didn't feel earned, but it just didn't feel like it fit. And especially coming from a character like Bran, where they've established like he's not really a person anymore. Like his best dialogue that he's had was with Jamie. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of a disservice to him as a person in the show. Like they should have those moments with his family where they're like, hey, we're your family. And he's like, I know that, but I also am not. Like they need to have that more established as opposed to him just being like the creepy guy. And obviously he can't talk to them too much because he's like the cheat code because he knows so goddamn much. He's yeah. locking into the weir- weirwood net, you know? So th- this episode really established that Bran is totally useless. He- his arc has been completely useless. His arc has all culminated in into one important thing. And that was that we learned John's lineage. You don't have to be useful to be important. Like he was a MacGuffin and he's like, he has this role, but like how useful is, are any of the characters really? Like how useful is Gendry? Like he showed his, his use by being a blacksmith, but after that, like what's his purpose? He was at least an interesting character with, with nice interactions with other characters we cared about. Yeah. He's very peripheral, but he has infinite potential to be useful because of his ability to be a, a, a plot point or a, a plot device to expound upon further knowledge that would not be possible in a, in a TV show. Like, he gives you an excuse to have a flashback if you ever need that, you know? Sure. But in eight seasons, they haven't utilized him well. They have not made him compelling. Every time Bran comes up on screen, it's like, okay. Season six was all about his, like, sick fucking flashbacks, dude. Almost none of it was interesting except for when we finally find out John's lineage. Other than that, it was like, like, the Hodor thing was whatever. And they set up this awesome thing with Hodor. of Like, hey, Bran can go back and he can influence the fucking future by going back and messing things up. They they did all that just for a fucking lame moment with a dude who couldn't speak. The Hodor thing did not move me one iota. But they set up a really cool idea. They set up this this potential. And that idea is still there. Yeah, Technically, yes. We've got three episodes. They could still do it. But I have a feeling that... We've seen how surface level the writers are and this the the showrunners are now that they aren't drawing from all of George Martin's great ideas. I think it's what you see is what you get. There is not going to be some crazy twist. There is not going to be not in the way that we think anyway. With oh, you know, when when the Night King walks up to Bran, I'm sitting here waiting for Bran to be like, "Oh, hello, Brandon." You know, like, and we're like, "Whoa, the Night King is Bran!" Whoa, like something crazy. That ties Bran's journey that's been completely useless so far and totally not compelling. And some sort of twist that makes us say, oh, that was so worth it. But instead, it's this fucking shitty rap video. He's walking slow motion. He goes for the sword. And then, yeah, Arya comes out of nowhere. Boom. Cool moment. That moment shocked me. I didn't expect them to end it so soon. Two things to say about this. One, you spend all of this time... Eight, literally eight years setting up that the Night King, death is coming, winter is coming, the Night King is the biggest, baddest motherfucker. To have some fucking lame battle, just the most boring battle in the history of fucking on-screen battles, and then 
culminating to this moment. You had you had, you, had, you had an hour of setup so that Arya could fucking stab the guy, and we could all go, oh, here's my frustration with the writers. The writers were sitting in the, in the fucking writing room thinking, they're so clever. We're going to subvert their ex- expectations here. This is so subversive. They'll never expect it. We're going to kill the, the big bad guy in the first, you know. That's not subversive. You motherfuckers don't understand what that fucking even means. Well, the real bad guy was Cersei the whole time. It's all about the Game of Thrones. Well, then you shouldn't have built up to this other thing if you weren't going to pay it off in a satisfactory way. You want to talk about stakeless? They gave it way too much buildup and they turned the Night King into a character that was you're intrigued by, but that never should have been the case in the first place. Like the Night King isn't, isn't a character in the books at all. It's just the- At the all. White, at all. No, there's no character- yeah. At all. Yeah, exactly. It's just the White Walkers, and they just make zombies, and they're trying to go south and kill everyone. That is it. They are the embodiment of a season, literally. They are winter. They are death. That's it. But instead, they personified that. They made it. They gave it intrigue, and they never paid that off, which I'm fine with there being no payoff because I never got to experience any of the the like the buildup and like the expectations, but I understand that being a dissatisfactory sort of conclusion to that character i guess you could call it a character <laughs> the first episode literally opens with zombies zombies but that's like that's the representation of of winter it's like winter is coming was like the motto for so fucking long and now guess yeah. what winter's gone winter came motherfucker came prematurely that was really frustrating to see that and, and i get like you make a good point and maybe they had a similar point where they're like well the Night King wasn't... Well, you know what? Then you failed not showing or not laying the, the groundwork. Like, you were building to one thing and you didn't pay it off. That's your fault start to finish. If you wanted to, to do something else, you should have laid the groundwork for something else. And now we're going to go to fight Cersei with... You know, it, it feels like this whole Night King thing was just a fucking... Another plot device to get to get Winterfell down to King's Landing with no army. And it's just like, oh, now, now we have some stakes. Like, do we... I don't give a fuck about Cersei anymore. I don't fucking care. Like I just, it, that was so frustrating for me to just, it, it, it felt so stakeless and it happened and it just felt like, you know, it, just a shitty fan service moment, but not in a way, we'll, as we'll talk later with Endgame, Endgame is fan service the movie, but like 90% of it worked. It was in line with the plot. It was in line with the characters and everything we've seen for 11 years. This was just literally spit in the face of everything that we've established and and just felt like they're trying to give us these moments we thought we wanted. And, and they all just time after time, they fell flat. They fell flat. And like I said, just the most boring. It was an hour of like, I, I was on the edge of my seat. Cause I'm like waiting for like, what's the thing? What's the gotcha moment? What's the twist? What's the, what's the hook here? And there wasn't one. The closest thing you got to that was John rushing towards the night King as he resurrects people. That was a sick fucking moment. And that was a sick moment. I think it could have been, I think it could have been better. I think it would have assuaged a lot of people's like, uh, concerns and, and like dissatisfaction if they had like a one V one for just like a little bit. And then they got yeah. some space and then night King rezzed and then John, then you had that moment. So then when John is like actively pursuing him into the God's wood and is held off by the dragon, like that has more tension. You're like, Fuck, they were fighting. He could have got him. He's going to get him now. And then you get the Aria, you know, sleight of hand, little knife drop, stabby moment. But like, as as it stands, I don't know, because you're saying it's like egregious and it's like spitting in the, the face of everything that they've established. But for me, like the last two seasons that I've watched, this is like very in line with that. You know, yeah, you get a lot of cool fan service. You get a lot of moments like paying off what was established and like established much better because it was based on uh, 
materials that had been written over the span of 15 years. And it takes a long time to get that shit to work out and to make sure it's all gripping. And even then you get plot lines that are going nowhere and you can look back on and be like, yeah, we can just skip that. So sure. you get like the best of both worlds, but also the worst of running out of material. Like, well, what the fuck do we do? This is like full metal yeah. alchemist all over again. And maybe right. in 20 years we'll get game of Thrones brotherhood and we can finally get what the people deserve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One thing that it, on one hand I like, but then they, they, they waffled on was that they constantly show that the night King, he's not afraid. But you get the sense that this motherfucker knows that he's going to get one-shotted if you get him with Dragonglass or Valyrian Steel. So he plays strategically. He always, he's sitting in the back. He's always letting his guys do his bidding, and he's always, he's being smart about it. I also don't know how, what, what, what was the point, what was the benefit of establishing that Dragonfire doesn't kill him? What was that scene for? It was just a cool moment. Just a cool moment. Like, but you, you said the Night King smile. I mean, that was all it was for. Yeah. It's just like to show us, oh shit, we're fucked. You can cut that. Just cut that. I mean, that. yeah, it was a, it was a cool moment. I like the moment, but you're right; it didn't serve a purpose, especially because the Night King dies ten minutes later. It's just that the this whole this whole series is now comprised of moments like that. Yes. So it's a, it's just a little bit disappointing. Also, yeah. Can I just fucking say why they got a blue ball, my boy Davos, like that at the very end? Give him just that one last yeah. fucking semblance of justice. Yep. Let him murder Melisandre but no she just has to walk off like an old bitch and take off her clothes one last time for fuck's sake yeah that's the kind of thing where we didn't get the fan service that we should have gotten the moments that made sense he he said if I ever see you again I will execute you and he didn't get to fucking do it that's the one thing like, this bitch killed this little girl that Davos had this attachment to his and they daughter had this basically like that yeah. was that was <sighs> That's a chance to give it to that him. That would have saved the episode like so much if they had done it would that. Have, it would have it would have really been a boon. Because that would have that would have been earned fan service. That would have been awesome. Same with like yeah. Sansa and Tyrion if they would have just killed a couple whites and like you you know you had the moment where like like yeah we were married we weren't good we're both much different people now you had that moment beforehand and then you could have them being like you know we're gonna fight to, this is this is it we're gonna die we're gonna fight to the death. Back to back, they could have had a sick moment where they're surrounded by whites and then they crumble, and that would have been dramatically satisfying. But instead, they just have this—they just cower in a corner, and then it's all—it's over. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You, if you're gonna build it up, actually do something good with it, please. <laughs> Overall, it- Jorah was probably the best death of the episode, followed by Dolorous Ed. <laughs> yeah, what, whatever. We all knew Ed was dead going into this episode. Ed's dead, baby. Uh, I, I just, Jorah, Dora's death was whatever. I just, I'm mad that he died for Daenerys because, again, I, I think Daenerys is trash. And I understand that he re, he cares for her. And his whole journey has been, hey, about about being at her side and protecting her. So it yeah. makes sense poetically that he dies for Daenerys. Daenerys should have been dead as fuck out there. She never swung a sword. What is she? How does she live and fucking Jorah doesn't? That's fucking bullshit. Yeah, I'm glad they, I'm glad they didn't, like, make her competent with a weapon in the, like the final hour like the way she's like holding it and like sort of turning around awkwardly like at least they kept that character like sanct like they, they kept the sanctity of her not being a warrior because right. they could have easily just been like oh she's a badass now but they didn't do that right so so i just need to address leaf leaf emailed us feedback at constantcrusade.com he just said, EJ, build a better case against Daenerys Targaryen as portrayed in the show. Boo. Because I went on a tirade about how Daenerys is probably the worst protagonist in the show and that we shouldn't be rooting for her. And that if if they, if they she comes out a victor of any kind in this season, the writers will have failed all of us. P. 
period. Bar none, there is no, in my eyes, there is no argument you can make saying that Daenerys is even a character you should fucking root for. Other, unless your only vested interest is I want Cersei to lose, then you got to root for Daenerys. But as a person, as a character, the way she is portrayed, she is awful in every way. There is nothing redeeming about her. The only good things she's ever done was for a selfish reason. And as soon as that didn't work out for her, she was like, well, fuck you. So fuck her. We could dive into that about how she's short-sighted and, and, and short-tempered. And I both agree and disagree with you. Okay. I agree that I don't think you're supposed to really, really like Daenerys. She's not very charismatic, but it's like she's surrounded by all these people that you do like and they see something in her and that. So acting is reacting. The way you feel about a character should be established by the way other characters feel about them. So there is a large like discrepancy between how people react to Daenerys. So obviously she's a very, people feel a lot of different ways about her. So you're going to have conflicting feelings about her and, the way, obviously, you know, this is a TV show and, and they can fuck up like we've been talking about for the past half an hour. Like they they don't exactly nail all the landings. So I think a lot of that has to do with how the TV show has portrayed her. Like they just have messed up a lot. But I think Daenerys has a really, really high potential for being a compelling and tragic character. John is a tragic character also. And a lot of their character arcs have been like, inverse of each other i think i've talked about this before where he's risen from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs and she's also risen from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs but from opposite like circumstances where she's like i deserve better and john's saying i do not deserve any of this i'm the commander of the night's watch i do not deserve this etc so i think each time something like this event this battle happens and her losing jorah who's like her longest she's no that's the person she's known for the longest amount of time. And that's gone. Like that's like the last remnant of basically her childhood is now dead. So how is that going to affect her? Is she going to lean on Tyrion's con like counsel? Is she going to be like, well now, you know, we did that and it's time for me to just say fuck it and be the queen that I deserve to be the queen that Viserys, my awful brother told me that I should be from the get go. I, I need to, you know, whatever the, their phrase is like unleash the dragon or release the dragon, you know, to just be the shitty person that gets things done. Or is she going to take the counsel of John? Who's been like the stalwart fucking Ned Stark's bastard son. And that's going to really bring a lot of dramatic tension in the next three episodes. That's going to be hopefully what's carrying the next three episodes. Cause they've really shortchanged Cersei and made her into just being a big bad also. So she's just a wall for them to fight against at this point. Yeah. So I, I think Daenerys is fine and I hope that they do her justice because I think she has a really high ceiling for being a compelling character. She had a high ceiling to be a compelling fucking character five years ago, but they have done the same stale one note, like again, badass female character, but really she's again, she's short sighted. She's constantly making the wrong decision. She will kill anybody in her way. You saw it in the way she looked at John when she, when he, she realized that, Oh, maybe John's trying to take the throne from me. She doesn't care about anybody or anything but the throne. And maybe there's a compelling reason for that in the book. In the book, she doesn't want the throne. She wants to go home. She wants her home back. She wants her family. But in the show, she's she is Cersei. Tell me one thing that differs her her from Cersei. Like, yeah, she hasn't fucking poisoned anybody. Well, she hasn't she hasn't been fucking her relative. Oh, wait. 
Oh wait. Yeah, no, she she is just an angry one note. This is mine or you die. Daenerys is not manipulative. She's not co- she doesn't coerce in that way. Like she's very upfront. She'd be a lot better off if she was. Well, yeah, but she's but she's not. That's the huge difference is she's very upfront. She tells people if you do not follow me, I will kill you and then she kills them. Like that is an MO that works for her. Whenever she tries to like get into the whole pageantry and the politics and the the subterfuge, everything gets all messy and she doesn't like that. So that is a huge difference between her and Cersei. Cersei revels in the ability to manipulate people and to lie to people and to fuck people sure. and to, like be that snake. Whereas Daenerys is like, she does not want that. She does not seek that. She wants the throne, but I think so much of her character is her being told that she wants the throne and her believing that. And now she wants the throne, bro. Yeah, but she sent she spent fucking six years in the goddamn East doing not the throne. <laughs> that is not a thing I think you can judge on face value. I think that is just a failure on the writer's part. The writers were trying to tell us she is doing something that serves her overall purpose. She was trying to amass an army, and that was all she was trying to amass power, taking over these slave cities. Like I've said, I'm going off the books and like the the established like the cause you actually get inner monologue, you get her point of view. From the books. The character in the book is not the character in the show. But I'm, I'm saying I don't see a huge divergence between those characters from like what I have seen. It's not like wildly different. It's just the way they, they execute those things is different because obviously you can't have an inner monologue. You can't have fucking narration going on over Daenerys every time she's on screen because that would get real fucking dumb. Sure. But how can anyone watch this show and even for a moment want to read for her. Apparently people do. I mean, I don't think you're in the minority. I don't think you're the only one who thinks that she's not a very compelling character, but there are obviously people who do root for her. So you can't say that it's like a completely bonkers idea to think that she's a good character. I think objectively we can look and say she's a bad character. She's not written well. She is very one note and they haven't given her enough of a reason. I don't know if you can objectively say anything like that. That's a, that's, that's a bit too far. She's just been a byproduct of, of her surroundings and then she yells sometimes and everyone's in love with her. I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand how you can root for her when you have any of the Starks Right, like I just don't, I just don't understand how people can look at this and say, "I hope Daenerys is the one that comes out the victor." It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So if that's who you're rooting for, that's fine. That's your prerogative, but it says a lot more about you than it does about me. Do you like Sansa more than Daenerys? I think Sansa's awful. I don't think she's a bad character. I think she's an awful person, or she's not a bad person, but she's. I don't like her. Right. I don't like her character. But I didn't. You know, I didn't like Ramsay's character, but he was a great character. Yeah, I didn't like. I didn't like Ramsay's character either so he was a real evil bastard i hated him i love to hate him Roos, i love to hate tywin i love to hate tywin I, oh tywin's amazing god he was good i was so pissed when they killed him dude he was he was brilliant that was subverting expectations by killing him on the shitter and just giving him this ignominious death at the hands of his uh, not bastard son but but yeah i mean real essentially the bastard every dwarf is a bastard in his father's eyes that's a that's quote right. from Tyrion lannister there it is he said, never forget what you are, bastard. Wear it like armor, and it can't hurt you. Yeah. No one else is going to forget. Yeah, that's great, great little interaction from that first season. So, so, oh, that's it. Sansa, I like Sansa more than Daenerys. Sansa, at least I understand some of the things she does. I'm like, oh, you're being a dumb bitch right now. But it's like, oh, because you're a dumb bitch. That's how they wrote you. You're a dumb little child. You're a petulant little, like, you've been through shit, but it's only been for the worse. So at least I get what she when she does something dumb. It makes sense. I just wanted to put your your statement of every Stark being better than Daenerys to the test. Just for a moment, just to, to satisfy yeah. Oh, yeah. my own. I'll take Sansa my own over Daenerys. My little needling that sure. I wanted to give you, you know? 
Sure, I got you. Anyway, we this is we uh, this has just been a clusterfuck of whatever. The episode was whatever. I, I'm gonna watch it again tonight, but it was whatever. Apparently, the streaming is better the day after it airs for some reason. <laughs> like they make it better when okay. no one's gonna watch it, or maybe this is a, a bandwidth thing since like less people are trying to watch it at the same time. They've got a better capabilities, so maybe that'll help you with like your your the crushed blacks and like the horrible banding that you're gonna have. And also I would recommend trying to, I don't know if it's, do you have HBO through a cable or do you have a, an actual login? Cause if you have an actual login, you can go through the Amazon app and it's, it's better quality, higher bit rate. Uh, I'll have to figure that out for next week for sure. Cause yeah, I've got a login. Uh, shouts out to the blazers who won last week. Big old shot by Damon Lillard. Dude, 30, 37 footer. Yeah, I did. I'm bringing this up because it's seven 30 and game one of the semifinals are starting right now. So we need to blow through some end game talk if we're going to do it. So I can go watch my boys play. I think we got it. We got to do it. We got to do it while it's still fresh. I watched it Saturday morning. I'm guessing you watched it. Did you watch it Thursday night or Friday night? Thursday night, man. 9.50 with the whole work crew. We got to go in late to work the next day, which was nice. The old yeah. boss let us. Uh, Out there till 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, It was something, man. Endgame, in, in a lot of ways, I think exceeded all of my expectations. I can sit here and gripe about small moments. I can gripe about, hey, this should have been this character. I can gripe about some of the plot holes that I think they're going to explain away in interviews. They'll, they'll just say, oh, this is this explains that. And say, okay. But I thought, these, I thought for something that was so, the, 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 again, endgame spoilers. If you don't want spoilers, if you're still listening, Lindsay, turn the podcast off. <laughs> Get out while you can. Whatever you do. Uh, spoiler alert. Similarly, top level, I I don't know about you, but I did not watch a single trailer before it came out. Mm. The only thing I saw okay. was like a commercial for like AT&T where inexplicably there's like Avengers and you see them like in their, their new suit up thing. But like beyond that, I was completely blind. I didn't have any expectations, didn't have any sort of like inkling of like what could they possibly do. I just knew that this was, for all intents and purposes, Infinity War Part 2. And afterwards, I thought, man, you know what? These are two like three hour movies, almost three hour movie. This could have been like three two hour movies. And depending on how like the pacing went, they could have had like a similar arc to like OG Star Wars where it's like start, start good and bright, then go in the middle dark and then the end, like another big bright moment. But damn. Yeah. They totally, it's such an achievement for one. Like they, they really fucking nailed it. And that's so impressive to me that I can completely forgive any sins that they might've committed along the way. Like people talking totally. about some minor plot hole or whatever. And I'm like, that's explainable. And I don't care because it gave us moments that I felt were so earned. They were so yes. fucking earned for yes, fuck's bitch. sake. It was, yes. it was so gratifying. It was so fan servicey, but it didn't feel like pandering. It was just full of beautiful right. moments. Great pacing. It was three hours long, but it didn't feel like it dragged. It didn't feel like anything it was rushed. Like it was just, they nailed it, dude. It somehow told such a concise story it, when the plot involves jumping around in literal time. They time travel yeah. and they're telling such a concise story that so worked on so many levels. And so fan service moments, everything from Hawkeye becoming Ronan, becoming a badass to him and Natasha, you know, Natasha's now saving him when he saved her and she had read in her ledger and their whole thing when she sacrifices herself, that was such a great payoff. Everything with, you know, Hulk finally coming to terms with, with Banner and vice versa, and we're getting Professor Hulk. That Dude, was so cool. So good. So good. And Ruffalo's performance. Every time they go back 
and it's from you get a scene of like from the movie that it takes place in. So you get the fucking Avengers pan around, and then you go to the scene where it's it's whole Cap and Ant Man and. When they're in, when they're up in Stark Tower at the top, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Tony. Loki. It's Tony who's with them. Okay, yeah, I could for some reason I, I brain farted for the, with the four of them, and then it's like, okay, Hulk, you gotta you gotta do some smashing. He's like, all right, fine. He rips his shirt off. And oh, right like, there. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, that's America's uh, ass. Like, there's so many good fucking little bits in that. A lot of the humor really worked. These little moments that they peppered in really worked, and it really showed how a the, how close the Avengers had kind of become over the years when you look at the first Avengers even the second Avengers movie when there's all this infighting and even here they had struggles together but it really showed how comfortable they were with each other and they've been doing this for years and so that humor worked in a lot of places where it was like the stakes are so high and the tension is so high and it's, it wasn't too much most of the time um, but it was cool going back in time and seeing all these moments where you're like oh shit I remember this but it wasn't in a Back to the Future way, which they they point out and sort of make fun of. Yeah, they, right? they hang the lampshade on that. It wasn't like oh time stuff like. And the one thing, the one conceit that they took where it was like time stuff with to to bring Thanos from the past into the future and to be like the big like final battle. It made enough sense with like Nebula being a not a complete like the they're mechanical also, and that that sort of conceit that that was fine. That made sense. That was that was enough sure. of a enough of a, a whole for Thanos to be brought through. And I think that was like a, I would never have thought to see that coming was like, and even right? like 20 minutes in you get Thanos. They killed Thanos. They killed Thanos. He just lops his what? head off with a fucking ax and we get fat Thor. Fat Thor was awesome. Oh, no, no, hold on. <laughs> Here's my major gripe with the film. I think if they did the fat Thor, I don't know. Thor is supposed to be just so badass. And I understand he's going through this depression. I get, I get it, like they leaned on that a little bit too hard for laughs too hard, but it makes it, it makes Thor. It makes more sense for Thor to be like, he's fucking lost. He does not know what to do with himself, and that was like a really compelling sort of storyline throughout it. And it made for it making a lot of sense for them when they finally make the Iron Man, you know, Infinity Gauntlet. And it's like Thor's like, you know, I'm the strong one. I, I can do it. It's like, yeah, normally you would be the one to do this because you know you're fucking Asgardian god of thunder, but you are. Like fucked up, you're drunk, you're fat as hell. You need to sit back and let Hulk do this, Professor Hulk, do the snap and like the game. Like so, that was great. Do you know what courses through my veins? Cheese whiz. <laughs> we have two snaps in this movie, dude. I know that's crazy. Two snaps. So so yeah yeah. The Thor thing was a little much for me. It's forgivable. It's it is what it is. It frustrates me because I really liked what Thor had become. Where he, you see his progression from being like this Norse. God essentially and being very he's like smashes glass another one you know hell hath no fury like you know all that bullshit very very you know sort of Shakespearean and dramatic and uh. yeah and sort of seeing him become more and more human as he spends time with humans and understands what these other realms are like and he sort of you see all those bits and pieces rubbing off on him and then we get Ragnarok where he's still this badass god of thunder he's not all fucking dour and also, to be fair, I think they they sow the seeds of Thor being like beaten down in the last movie, like the yeah. very from the very beginning with like Loki being killed and like him break like basically breaking down to to rocket when he's trying to restart the star to get himself a new axe. Like that was like a last ditch effort kind of thing for him. That was like if he had died at that star, I think he would have been happy with that. Like he was like borderline suicidal, just trying to get this thing done, trying to kill Thanos. I see. I totally agree with you. And here's my thing: 
With Hawkeye, he loses his family and he becomes a fucking badass murder bot. And he goes around killing fucking Yakuza and shit. He was awesome. That's so cool. The idea of that is cool. And with Thor, he's the same way. He is. He's desperate. He's on the brink. And then when he kills Thanos and he just is like, I killed Thanos, but it's too late. And the way he walks away was heartbreaking. But they, but then they leaned so far into this joke, this gag that kept going through the whole movie. It was like, is that really how you, like, you, you make Ronan this badass, but then you just give Thor like the scraps and he's kind of a goofball. He's, he's just the humor of the whole movie. That sucked for me seeing this character that was on the brink. He was so, he was the most defeating. I would argue that Infinity War is his story. What's well, Thanos' story? But as far as the good guys, the protagonist, he, it's his story. He is trying to get revenge and his, his whole family is dead. And, and then at the end, he fails. His hubris, his, because it was on hubris, but instead he he just he becomes a drunk and is playing Fortnite. Yeah, like it just was so weird to me, man. It just was too much for me. I was fine with it, and I liked it because you needed to have some levity. You needed to have, like, if everyone was Ronan, it would have been a really really hard watch. That would it would have been a joyless fucking. Adventure. I don't know. I don't know, and dude. Ro- okay, Hawkeye is the least likable Avenger, and they somehow made him a little bit likable. Whereas Thor been doing is like one of the most likable Avengers, especially with how people fucking loved Ragnarok and he had so many badass moments in Infinity War that to bring him down and to like make him this sort of like laughable character, even though he was like really sad and like just like a, a hollow husk of himself was like, yeah. that was, a, that was fine for me. I, I was okay with I'm that. I'm not arguing with that. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I just think there was a way they could have done it that was made him less of a caricature and less of a in a way, sort of undoing a lot of what we've seen done to and with the character. And also, you like, get that great scene with him and his mom, and like, I don't know. I feel like nice. I feel like Thor has had his arc, and you'll probably see him a little bit, like as like a like in the future movies, you might see him as a cameo. But like, I can't imagine him really being too much besides like hanging out with the Guardians and maybe like fucking off for a while doing something else. I would love if Guardians 3 could be as Guardians of the Galaxy and it's it's Thor with the Guardian. I would literally love that. I don't think James Gunn would ever do that in a million years. It's too many characters at that point too. Like throwing Thor and like Gamora and new Gamora and like Valkyrie probably because they're trying to make her a bigger deal. But I don't know. Thor and his power level kind of makes it problematic for him to be in a lot of movies. Like yeah, you really have to be fighting some sort of existential world ending threat like you'd have to be like going against like galactus for thor to really like make sense uh, to make make sure dramatic tension still still happening you know yeah let's let's chat about uh, a couple of the other characters a couple other moments so we see all these different time travel moments uh we get like you mentioned thor and his mom that was a really great moment he gets molnir back which I i didn't even put together why they wouldn't bring molnir back we see later we'll talk about that but seeing tony they go back to the 70s. They're thinking on the fly. They fuck up. First of all, we see Loki escape in the alternate reality, setting up a Loki TV show with evil Loki. Great. Yep. And I was also, I didn't know, uh, is it established in any of the movies that they know that Hank Pym and Howard Stark are in the same place at the same time? Like, how is that? Because they like talk to each other like, yeah, I know that this is the thing. But like, do they show that or is that just like? He, I, Tony would know because his... Was also he was saying that his dad his dad was like going home because his wife was like expecting pretty much like it's almost Tony's birthday at that date right. that they go to, and it is that same base that um Cap and Natasha uh, Black Widow go to to find the weird AI guy during uh yeah they find uh, during Winter Soldier they mentioned him they, they mentioned him in uh, Endgame where, where they're like where's uh, Zola Zol- Zoloft. <laughs> 
Arnim Zola. Zola, that, yeah, Zola. So they, yeah, that's the same base. He's in the same building that Zola's um, mind was kept on all the data banks down that they blow up later. So they mentioned it by name. That's cool. But but jumping back, improvising, jumping back to that timeline, him getting closure with his dad was like really cool, and seeing like. That's the kind of the one thing that really always ate at Tony and sort of drove Tony. And you had little moments where you realize, like, you even see in Civil War when he's using the barf technology and he's like, you know, I understand you did your best, Dad. And and he's like, that's what I would have said. But then they fucking died. And talking about his parents. And so to see him get a moment with... Especially when it was, like, adjacent to Cap, when that was, like, their main struggle during Civil War was... Was uh, Steve keeping that knowledge that Bucky was the one that was Robo assassinated his dad, his mom? Like I, that was like really powerful, kind of subtle closure. So that was that was a great moment. Like you said, bringing Thanos back was such an interesting way to do that, and we got great moments. You know, so going into the final battle, just the most insane battle. I mean, it was it was relatively short compared to the three hour and two minute runtime of the movie, but everything from the three main Avengers, right? The three main, we had Iron Man, we had Thor and we had Captain America. Those were the three fucking movies we had leading up to Avengers. We had the, the big three coming out to approach Thanos. The only thing I wish the, the battle had, and I don't think it had at all. I don't, I don't remember it happening because Hulk was out of commission from the snap, right? So he didn't get a, a chance yeah, to slug it out up. at all with, with Thanos. He never got that sort of rebuttal, you know, because he got knocked out on, the the Asgardian ship and now he didn't get another chance to fuck shit up. There was no Hulk fighting at all. Which I was okay with because I would argue he had a bigger arc. He was he figured out time travel and he he did the snap to bring back half the life in the entire universe. He kind of figured out time travel. It was Tony that really did it with his reverse Mobius strip thing that he did on his coffee table or whatever. <laughs> he just made Scott Lang wet himself as a baby or as a as a as an old man. <laughs> That's the one time travel thing I I don't I don't understand. Well, the way Tony said it was that instead of pushing Scott through time, he was pushing time through Scott. Oh, that's how they fucked. Okay, all right. So that, that all, whatever. That it's all fact. sci-fi mumbo jumbo. So I mean, right. It, it doesn't have to be like too internally consistent to be like, oh yeah, you just fucked it up. You just weren't doing it right. When it comes to the battle, okay, then we get we get the big three squaring off with them going back and forth. Each one's getting individually beat down, and then you realize how powerful Thanos really is without the gauntlet. And the only reason they could stop him before was only because he was so fucked up because of the stone. Both times, the one time that. That Thor almost got him when he got him in the chest, and then the second time when they all ambushed him and Thor cut his head off. The only reason that happened was because he was so damaged. Thanos is a bad motherfucker, even without the stones. With this OP double sword, <laughs> just wailing, straight up, just like chipping away huge chunks of a fucking vibranium shield that Cap has. That that was such a cool moment, and then the way that Cap gets up, and I'm glad they didn't do the whole "I can do this all day" shit. That's pretty played out. But the way he gets up and he straps up just the scrap of his shield, and he's like, "We're doing this again." When Cap wielded Molnir, Thor's almost dead. You know, Thanos poetically is putting it. I knew it, it. <laughs> dude. And he fucking dude, the theater erupted. I jumped out of my seat. And he just starts going to fucking town. He swings it. He smacks him. You get that beautiful silhouette shot as Thanos goes flying. Doing combo shots against the shield. <laughs> dude, dude, he throws the fucking shield. He smacks it with Molnir. He calls it back. He fucking calls lightning and is just fucking shit up. Yeah. And obviously Thanos overpowers him again. But goddamn, and that's when he, he chips the shield away. But then you hear Cap. And, and he's like, he's tapping his headpiece. He's like, what? And you just hear... On your left, beautiful callback to Winter Soldier with Sam and and Cap. 
and the portals start opening and you're like, here comes the cavalry. It's happening! But it's not in like a cheesy way. Like you knew it was happening. It all made sense. It all led to that moment and it all tracked so well. And you're like, oh my God, it's happening. And then all the characters come out. Everyone is here. Please enjoy. Uh, and it all went down. You get these crazy moments with fucking Spider-Man in the fucking swinging on Molnir, And then he jumps on a Pegasus and they're playing capture the flag with the fucking gauntlet. And Ant-Man's crushing fucking coal obsidian beneath his giant foot. And trying to get his shitty van to go. <laughs> Bro, when I see fucking Gwyneth Paltrow and RDJ come together and that sick ass 360 shot going around them while they're spinning and shooting lasers and shit. I was like... I am going to have a heart attack right now. It, it was so fucking cool. Everything about it was so fucking cool. And then uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other moments from the battle. What moments from that battle stick out to you that were just like, holy fuck moments? I don't know how you feel about it or how forced it was, but it was just like the ladies of the MCU had like a, a good little team up shot. And it was like, it wasn't too long. It wasn't like too forced. And obviously, you know, but it was pretty like, uh, okay, I see. What you're on the nose, but I mean, that's fucking cool. Like, Hell yeah, get all these ladies, these badass women together and give them a fucking shot, you know? Let that be a poster for some girl to buy. That's awesome. Fuck yeah. But beyond that, you get some like cool... Like that whole scene with the baton passing of the gauntlet trying to get it to Scott is like really cool character interactions where it's like you start off with... um, Who has it first? I don't remember. Hawkeye gets it and then he gives it to... Or is it Falcon? I can't remember who has... Uh, yeah, it's Hawkeye, then Black Panther gets it. He passes it along yes. to... Um, I think Spider-Man grabs it from like a pillar that the Squidward guy had. And he's like running along. He gets on the Valkyries. Uh, Pegasus is flying around. Then he has... Then we get then Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel flying. And I haven't seen Captain Marvel. It was really weird that she was only in the beginning and only at the end. And like, that's fine, I guess. But it... That tracks. She shouldn't be a main Avenger in my eyes. Yeah. You know, she's cosmic. She's got bigger things to deal with. She, like like she said, this happened to thousands of worlds. Right. Why would I be here? They've got you. Right. And that's, that's fine. It was just like, I don't know. It was, it was sudden. It was fine. It was like Deus Ex Machina, but it made sense within the the context of like the whole, the whole bit. Like I'm sure someone tried calling her at some point. It was like, Hey, we're all back. I'm sure she was on some planet. It was like, everyone started reappearing. She's like, Oh, I, oh shit, oh, shit. we gotta go. Yeah. Oh shit, something's happening. And then, you know, bro, that moment where she try he tries to headbutt her and just nothing nothing happens. Well, that too. That was cool. Her power seemed inconsistent, but that's I'm not worried yeah. about it. When Thanos runs into Scarlet Witch and she's like, she's literally in her eyes, five minutes ago, she just lost the love of her life that she spent the last couple years with, right? Vision. Right. And so she's literally, she doesn't realize she's been snapped out of existence. Which you get a very quick establishment from Spider-Man that was like, yeah, we, we were just there and like, I felt really weird. And then like you were gone, like it seemed like nothing had happened. Like they, they established right. that a few different times. And then I woke up and Dr. Strange said it's been five years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so oh. it made sense for her to come back and be like immediately just like, hey, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so she's like, you took everything from me. And Thanos, dude, big dick Thanos. I don't even know who you are. And she just freaks the fuck out. And she's basically about to tear him literally limb from fucking limb, bro. Until he says, like literally the way she, he lifts, or, uh, she lifts him up and is like ripping that armor off of him. Right. And he's just like, oh, he realizes I'm, I'm about to die. And so he says, rain fire. And his boy is like, but sir, the cavalry. And Daniel says like, just do it, bitch. Those Tatari, the, the six legged little weird alien animal animal boys the chitari are more humanoid okay the 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 big crazy things are the outriders 
but so we had all so we had the Chitari, the Outriders, we had all of his his minions. The Children of Thanos were there too because it's like different timeline, which is like that's really cool. Yeah. That's a great like conceit to bring him in. It didn't feel forced or anything. So a lot of cool moments there, and then obviously at the end, okay, dude, the Avengers. Assemble. assemble dude we've been waiting 11 years to hear that yeah. and he fucking did it i was like whoa fuck <laughs> finally got the assemble they had to if they didn't do that oh yeah they had to and just the uh, i mean just the i'm inevitable to the the failed snap to i'm iron oh, man like dude i am inevitable oh that was and then tony's last words his most famous words they ended the first movie with it i am iron man and then you know, he's mocking. Th- that's so Tony. It's so Tony Stark. Thanos is being, he thinks he's being some again, like poetic, big and poetic neck beard, <laughs> genocidal maniac. <laughs> right. And he's like, I am inevitable. And Tony Stark is like just poking fun at him. He's being petty. He's being a bitch to Thanos. Yeah, he's he's he shit posting. I am Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, I am Iron Man, you pussy. And he snaps. Boom. And we get, of course, again, very poetically, all the bad guys start dusting. Thanos sits down and we get the, reenactment of the last shot of infinity war where he's sitting out and looking out and smiling instead we get this contemplative fearful look he sits down the camera pushes in and he just dusts away and I, listen i just got a shout out here gwyneth paltrow boom we get tony tony dies or tony is dying and he's in shock he's like he just saw the literal universe he wielded the most power in the history of power and and he's just he's in shock and he's about to die and he's leaning up the thing and we get the moment with uh, War Machines there, and then and then Peter Parker comes over. Yeah, Rhodey and Pepper, and Pepper just says like, right. "Tony, you can rest." Like that was like a a huge through line throughout the movie. It was like, you, "We know, I know you cannot rest unless you're doing something to help help these people save the the worlds." And that's interesting coming from Pepper, who's always like, "Stop it! They don't need you. Stop it! I need you." And that's been a through line through prior movies. But the performance from Gwyneth Paltrow in that moment where we all know, dude, Tony's dead. Holy fuck. Tony's about to die. And and she knows it. And she, the way she looks at him and she has this genuine smile on her face where she's being strong for Tony. Right. And she's like, we're going to be okay. You know, like you can rest now. And the way she's so genuinely like, she's got this real smile on and she's like, Tony, like go, like your daughter and I, we're going to be fine. You just, and and then when he passes and the way she instantly changes, she breaks down. I thought that was the most brilliant performance in the whole movie. The way I saw that and the way it unfolded fucked me up so hard. Yeah. Super it got me so misty. Dude. <laughs> you got dusted in the eyes. Yeah. That not to mention that and the little hologram of Tony, you know, because he's always thinking about the inevitability of his oh. own death and he gets to I love you 3000 like. <laughs> not fair. And then, you know what fucked me up after the, the second most fucked me up moment was when, when happy Hogan and his daughter Morgan are sitting on the back porch. And he's like, how are you kid? And she's like, I'm hungry. And he's like, what do you want? And, and the way John Favreau's performance here too, where he's so tender with this little girl who presumably he's been involved with for past five years. Uh, yeah. I mean, happy's been around. And so, so you see this tender little moment of, of like, he's like, what do you want? I'm going to get you whatever you want. And she's like, cheeseburger. And, and you instantly think back to the moment where the first thing Tony wanted after he had been abducted and he's just like, he's like, no, I want a cheeseburger. I don't want to go to the fucking doctor. I don't press conference. I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> and you instantly call back that moment and the way Happy's like, he's like, you want a cheeseburger? Your daddy liked cheeseburger. I'm going to get you all the cheeseburgers you want, kid. <laughs> it was just like such a small little moment that was so great. Super sweet. It's so emotional. Not to mention the whole like pan up from the just the proof that Tony Stark had a heart 
being drifted out in the yeah. lake and then you get like the the weaving shot of everybody who showed up for his funeral and like ending with Nick Fury at the very back you know like you got everyone everyone was there they all recognize the sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice yeah shouts to Iron Man 3 kid who no one recognized until they went home and looked it up afterwards Dude, seriously I was like who the fuck is that is that Quicksilver from the Mar- from the X-Men movies they get the recast <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right no, not to mention I haven't seen I never saw Iron Man 3 and I also never saw uh, Thor the Dark World before this and I didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp oh. so there was like three things where I Ooh. who knew that those three like those three movies of all movies would be like actually come back and like pay off in this movie, like seeing Pepper Potts and her own Iron Man outfit and like uh, Thor going back and witnessing his mother before his mother's death. Like that was a dark world plot point and like fucking uh, Ant-Man being trapped in the van. Like apparently that's how Ant-Man and the Wasp ends. Like I know how that ends, but like I didn't know yeah. how important that's any like of those post credit scene ending with Cap. And getting his last dance and and passing on the mantle to to Sam, like how do you feel about that? I know a lot of people, a lot of angry nerds are like, "Well, it doesn't make sense with the time travel." Like that's a plot hole. That's a huge issue for me is the way that they they spent so much time harping on the rules of the time travel just to break them. I don't care what reasoning they have. See, I don't know if that necessarily breaks the rules. Eight hundred percent breaks the rules. I don't know if it does. He, he's not going back in time. He's going parallel to a different reality completely detached so even if he lived a hundred years in that reality he can't get back here without time travel which so the the thought is that well he he still had the bracelet and at some point off screen he bounces back to his reality and then makes his way to that bench and that's like yeah that's the explanation the way he has the wristbands the way i felt about it was him going back to peggy wasn't changing anything it wasn't a it wasn't like Thanos, it was an inevitability that that was the timeline all along and that old Steve Rogers just didn't show up until this moment because he knew that was the moment that he left. It's a little bit, it's cute. It's a little bit too cute, but for fuck's sake, I need Steve to be able to just have a life. And it's coming from me. I did not give a shit about Captain America for three or four movies. And that's shock. Dude, he's so great. God damn. But now I fucking love him. Like I went back and I I appreciate winter soldier a lot more now, now that I actually like captain America. But like, by the time I had seen that, like I didn't start liking him until maybe like age of Ultron, which uh, that's really weird. That's, that's an awful movie, but so, okay. Couple things, couple things to your point here. First of all, that is a cute way of looking at it. And it's a very poetic little wrap up, but that's, that can't be what happened. And they, if they broke their own rules, shame on them because that is a huge, that's, that's one of the plot points. You just can't forgive a plot hole like that. It's just silly. The, the, the logic will be, they're going to, the Russo's will come out and say in a fucking interview, he still had the, the wristband and he bounced back some other time. People are going to say, well, he, why didn't he bounce back to the machine? Who cares? He bounced back to the van and he got out of the van and he walked to the bench an hour earlier, whatever it is. That's how he got back. He had the wristband or he, or he bounced out and uh, just like swore Bruce to secrecy or something like, Hey, I'm back, but you need to like, you need to like be quiet about this. Don't let anyone know. Yeah. Whatever it was, he had to have used the wristband to get back at some point. And that's fine. I just wish they portrayed that a little bit differently. Cause now people are starting to think because of that moment, it undid what, little people started to understand about how time travel worked in this movie. So people are now going back and like, well, why didn't they do this? And if they did this, how come it didn't do that? It's like, because that's not how time travel works. So all of those things that you're saying, what if, and this is bad because of that, that doesn't exist because that's not how it works. Yeah, that's fair. So, so that moment just sort of undid some of the legwork they did to set up a lot of what they set up. That's fine. I just wanted to see, I just wanted to see 
Cap have his life and to be happy. That was great. Especially especially after watching like Winter Soldier and like getting that moment with him and uh old Peggy and she's got like crazy dementia and she's like, Oh Steve, you're alive. Like after they oh. just had this conversation, he's like, I can't miss my dance with my best girl. Like, fuck, dude. Oh no. fuck. That kills me. It's, it's I just watched much. that yesterday. It's, it's dude. It, yeah. So it is. So I remember so viscerally. This is 2012. I'm living at the apartment with John. It's like 1 a.m. First Avenger is on Netflix, right? This is right before Avengers comes out in theaters. I'm watching Cap for the first time. Really enjoyed it. Still think it's a super underrated flick. I love period pieces. I love what's what Chris Evans did with the character. The, the way they write Steve Rogers in a world where Steve Rogers doesn't fit. It so perfectly works for me seeing the contrast to this like perfect character like works so well for me but i so remember like how dev like literally devastated misty on the verge of just like i can't believe they would do that when he doesn't get his dance and he goes down the fucking ice and you know and the way she's like you stole me a dance and then she cuts out and steve just closes his eyes and boom he's out i was so i was like fuck you he didn't get his fucking dance bro like that crushed me the only time i felt that kind of sadness at a movie was was watching uh P.S. I love you and fucking Gerard Butler's dead as fuck and and that whole thing crushed or me. Serious, okay? getting a shot through the portal and getting killed. That didn't affect me whatsoever in a, in the movie. I don't know the book. Sure, <laughs> the book. Yeah, but like the, that's like one of those moments where you're just like, no, no. I mean, in the in, in the movie, the movies were so bad. I, I wasn't affected yeah. by them, but 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 yeah. But the moment of just like ah, fuck, like I know it's the happy ending, but like that nagging like he's never going to get his dance and then after Age of Ultron when they had the vision listen the visions came true bro this is fucking crazy it's not crazy because they wrote it this way but think about it when Scarlet Witch does gives a vision to everybody Tony sees the Avengers dead boom fulfilled fucking I'm flipping off right now you see you see Natasha with her training and she's got this red in her ledger that she always refers to and she's going through and reliving this traumatic experience as being trained to become this assassin and doing these horrendous things. She erases that red in her ledger by sacrificing herself and turning Hawkeye back to the good side, right? Like, boom, fulfilled. You see Cap goes back in time and he sees he's at the dance floor and he's just like lamenting this life he didn't get to live. Boom, fulfilled. You see Thor. You see Thor when he goes back and and Heimdall, he's like, Heimdall, your eyes. And he's like, you led us to hell. They destroyed Asgard. Boom. He let hell to destroy Asgard during Ragnarok. Like, all of those were fucking fulfilled and all came to fruition at different times. And I'm like, that is so, that is so cool. Dank foreshadowing. Let me tell you, the Russo bros are insane. And I tweeted this last night, bro. They exposed Joss Whedon. Like, Joss Whedon, he did what he needed to do with Avengers. He dropped the ball with Ultron. The guy is so over the top theatrical with like some of his dialogue and some of these very convenient moments and his very, very sort of, I was watching it. It was just such a generic action flick. I was just watching Ultron two days ago and it was felt such a wasted potential. Just very, like I said, generic sort of like, okay, this is what you expect. Dude, the Russo bros, man, have now done four phenomenal, the best four fucking movies in the MCU or directed by Joe and Anthony Russo and written by Marcus McFeely. Yeah. Civil War, then Avengers 1 and Endgame and, and, yeah, I mean, and Infinity War. Unbelievable. So anyway, I, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't be happier. Shouts out to the Russos and shouts out to Kevin Feige for putting these films in the hands of the creators that really gave them character, especially with like something like uh, Thor Ragnarok. 
I really hope that yeah. Taika keeps getting some. I don't know if they're what they're going to do with uh, future movies. They're going to keep Thor if he's going to be hanging out with the Guardians or what's going on if Valkyrie is going to be like a plot point or like what's going on there. But like, I that was too nice for a one off, and I feel like it could be honed and become better. Whereas I think uh, sure. I don't know if. Uh, James Gunn is going to do Guardians 3 better than Guardians 2 because Guardians 2 is already worse than Guardians 1. So I have a little bit less. But amazing that all of these came to fruition with these two movies. And it's just ridiculous. It is such, like I said it before, but it's seriously such an achievement. And like these, these, you get these like funny quotes of like the most ambitious crossover in like cinematic history. Like, dude, this is like, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, it couldn't have been any bigger than it was. It was just, it was perfect, but it wasn't perfect. It was amazing. It felt perfect. Yeah. yeah, It felt perfect despite some of its issues. And it did some cool things to set up. And I like how they just focused on telling this story. It wasn't about what's next. Yeah. Who's next. It just was this fucking conclusion. Yeah. They they sowed some seeds, you know, you got Thor hanging out on the ship with Peter Quill and you've got the tension of like, okay, well what's going on with uh, new old Gamora. And like, that's, obviously lending itself to like a future guardians movie and we've got sam with the shield and like you've got the future but this was a really good bookend and like if you stopped right now you that would be a a good like end well it's been a two-hour podcast that i have to edit and i have missed 40 minutes of the game 50 minutes of the game so i'm gonna i'm gonna go whip up a little uh little pickle snack and i'm gonna watch the basketball game pal this has been the concert crusade we talked way more about game of thrones and end game than we did video games but you know, been a slow week. Forgive us. Yeah, and we had to. You know we did. Yeah. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. Ka-chow. Count me down.